Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 78 for the second time. I'm Rocco, and with me today is Ryan, the newest Mozart. That's right. I feel like I told you this story before, but I painted my walls. It sounds <laughs> familiar. It does sound a little bit familiar. Uh, we also have the boss, PZ. Yep, and uh, before Ryan gets exciting, I think he missed the word not in the previous one, so I have not extreme distro hopped. Oh, so Rocco's going to be happy, you're going to be sad. Boring. I am going to be happy. <laughs> and then there's the newest piano mover, Michael. Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't really want to have to get another man in a truck, but it seems like that's being my new business. <laughs> you're going to make a killing. Uh, yeah, right. Piano yeah. moving is the next hot thing. It Everyone is. loves piano movies. It's, it's not like you can just have people take it away, and you can you can spend you can charge so much money like free online, yeah. right? Rich. <clears throat> All right, so we got a lot to cover today. We are going to talk about uh, distro news, like elementary beta, and some Linux Mint a little bit, some XFCE, also the newest, maybe possible company getting into gaming. But before we do, we're going to cover an email that we got. And this email is from Yannick, the a.k.a. the French guy from Switzerland, Ryan. I love his name. His <laughs> name is so awesome. All right. So he sent us an email talking about Raspberry Pi, Raspbian, Raspbian Desktop. Uh, I'm not completely familiar with Raspbian uh, Desktop or a Raspberry Pi because I have never done anything like that. But you have. Yeah. I mean, Raspbian runs in my car. Because I have the Raspberry Pi that's connected to the console in my car, and that's what I run as the OS in my vehicle. And so, you know, it's a fantastic OS, very lightweight for a Raspberry Pi because it's a very low-powered piece of hardware. But what he was adding into the conversation is to let us know that they actually have a full desktop version of Raspbian, which I did not know. And so, obviously, you're not going to want to run this on the latest and greatest hardware. It's not going to be, you know, super snazzy. That's not really what Raspbian is for. But if you have a very low-powered machine, or in his case, he's actually a Linux developer and uses it as a testing bed, it's a pretty cool idea to have and be able to utilize. So, I just thought it was really cool that Yannick, a.k.a. the French guy from Switzerland, sent us this information. I wasn't aware that the desktop version actually existed. And something that if anyone's interested in trying, they can go check out. Yep, it's pretty cool. I didn't, I didn't know it existed either. I'm not really sure why it exists, but it's cool that it does. Yep. And how easy are they to get set up? I mean, you get this little box with all bits and pieces and you put it all together. So is it then just uh, like a very low-powered PC? I mean, I mean, as far as a Raspberry Pi goes, it's actually ridiculously easy in, in, like, in comparison of like any kind of thing like an Arduino or something like that where you have to actually like put pins and stuff. It already has pretty much everything by default good to go if you want to like just kind of play with it. And in order to get to get it to work as far as booting, you need an SD card or a micro SD card. And to that they have this new system. They have a cool method of installing operating systems on the Pi, which is called Noobs. Yep. New out of the box software. And <laughs> it's just a zip file that you extract onto the SD card. When you boot the Raspberry Pi with that SD card, it'll load this. Uh, this interface to you can choose which distro you want to use and then it just installs from there so it's it's very oh, wow. easy and nice i mean there are so many projects you can do with the raspberry pi you can do home automation with it you can do robotics you can do all kinds of cool stuff 
So I yeah. think when you talk about what would you use it for, I think that the idea like um, our favorite French guy from Switzerland said is a testing bed for different applications or things that you're using for those methods would be an, mm-hmm. an opportunity for you uh, to test that out in a desktop environment. Obviously, it would be extraordinarily lightweight. So if you have very, very old hardware, that would be a very cool thing to use. It's actually a very intuitive, well-done operating system. I mean, it runs on a screen on an 8-inch screen in my car, and you can still interact. The Raspbian itself is fantastic. Yeah. I'm saying that the desktop version is kind of odd for me because if it's as far as a testing bench, it doesn't really work, in my opinion, because of the fact that it's an x86 architecture versus an ARM architecture, and they're they're very different. So mm-hmm. even if you test software on x86 and you go to test it on an ARM, doesn't mean it's going to work. So it's just kind of like I don't know, but I mean it's cool that you can play with it and see how it works if you if you don't have a Pi, I guess. Yep. Oh, it actually work in a virtual machine too. All right. So the first news item we have is elementary OS Juno beta. What do you oh, think? Yeah. I think it's awesome. What do you think, Rocco? You've been talking about this thing nonstop. <laughs> this is like you won't shut up about Juno. Are you happy now? Dude, it, okay, so I'm not happy because I can't install it on my main machine yet, but I can't wait to Just, install it. never thing. happy. Rocco is never happy. Never. Never <laughs> wow. completely happy. Just, but no, this uh, look, this is, I'm sorry, in my opinion, the most beautiful desktop out there. Wow. And they're adding so many nice features little by little here and there as you go along. And one of the critiques that elementary gets is that it's locked down and you can't change it or it doesn't offer the functionality that this person specifically wants. Well, you can unlock it if you'd like to. Uh, It's not the most customizable desktop ever, but they're adding little features here and there that are giving people the ability to run it and not feel so, you know, Lockdown enclosed. They have done many improvements in this beta trackpad improvements so that you can swipe the menu and it goes to the next one. Um, they have done system tray improvements, like little things like the battery icon. So when you click on it, it flies out or flies to the left and tells you the actual percentage. Little things that make it awesome. Um, they have put a file explorer in code, their text editor. Have you Mm -hmm. ever, has anybody ever used code? Not yet. No, I've used their prever- the previous version, but I didn't. I haven't used it since they turned it into code. Well, I have been on it for a couple hours, and I will say that. Let me put the disclaimer out there that this is not for your production machine. It is a beta, and it has known bugs, known regressions in it. So, I definitely would not recommend it for your main machine. Although I have seen people talk about the fact that they have put it on their main machine and not had any problems with it. Zeb? Yeah. I mean, I, I, when it first came out, I used it for three days solid um, and it was fine. I mean, I don't, I don't really tax my machines other than you must be able to install NVIDIA, OBS and Steam. Um, And it ate all those up without, without a problem. I did the usual add a few bits and pieces so that you can add PPAs and, and run, run Debbie files if that's what you want. But the actual main software itself, I didn't have to, I didn't, I don't think I even installed elementary tweaks. I just accepted what it gave me and it was very, very usable. Um, and obviously beauty is in the eye of the beholder because I think it's just on this beta, but wow, that wallpaper, that's <laughs> something else. You get it's purple, it, isn't it? it? 
Is it purple, Michael, or is it that some other special color? That you well, I mean, that technically, what is the hex uh, color, Michael? Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but I will wow. find out for you, and I will tell you in the show notes <laughs> okay. for sure because it's very important. And I'll even give you the CMYK version as well. Wow, nice. So hopefully they'll change that for the for the final release. But other than that, yeah, it's it's a great OS. Yeah, they usually do change that. Um, but there was a a ton of pr- improvements. We'll put the the list to the notes in the show notes, but file and files improvements, uh, printing preferences have been redesigned. So it looks all nice and shiny. Mm. I love it. Yep. But it'll be interesting as well, because a lot of people who've moved to the 1804 base said they've been having all sorts of little problems with it. So I'm wondering whether with Juno coming out three or four months after the release, have they been able to iron a few of those out? Well, one of the problems that I had heard, heard before about elementary was that they would they couldn't recognize people's printers, certain people's printers, like I guess specific brands. But uh, I do have an HP printer on the network, and it did recognize it immediately. So yeah, nice. there's there, there's still an issue with printers, but that's that's an issue of like I mean, all operating systems have a, have a problem with printers because printers are like the bane of existence for computing, <laughs> and. And, uh, but HP is was my favorite printer company because they, and they committed, uh, to Linux like, like 12, 15 years ago, somewhere around there. And since then, all of their printers just work with the built in drivers of the kernel. Well, there is another beautiful operating system out there that you can play with that I actually had never played with before and really enjoyed especially when I started having some of these flashbacks to Gen 2. That is installing the straight Gen 2. Uh, That was not a fun experience for me. I'm happy for all those people that enjoy it, but for me, that was not a great experience. Um, But there is an easier way to get Gen 2 on your machine, and that is through Redcore Linux. And they have a new hardened 1806 release, and it is very, very cool. Like I was able to get in there and enjoy Gen 2 right away versus spending three days compiling, which is the first advantage that it has. <laughs> but it also has a lot of really cool tools. It's very beautiful desktop environment. Has anybody else here tried Redcore Linux? Because I dug it. Yeah. Um, the previous one, um, I could never even get it to start. And then something sort of like tweaked the back of my memory where I thought, well, hang on a minute unplug every USB drive you've got and then disconnect every other SSD and then try and install it. And yes, result. I got it installed and it fired up <laughs> and nothing worked. Right mouse click didn't work. The menu didn't work. Control alt delete didn't work. Control alt T. So they've hardened it so much that you're never going to get a bug because you can't use it. Well, so, we, so Zeb is a fan of Redcore. We get it. Yeah, no, yep. I would love to use it because it does look really, really good, and so many people talk it up. I just can't get it to work on my software, on my hardware. I, mean, I like I like Redcore's idea of making Gen two like uh Approach. you know get get the yeah they get the powerful powerful aspects of Gen two without having to go through all the the, the the headaches of Gen two, but also getting still getting the benefits of having it specifically to your particular machine and things like that. Like that's a really cool idea, and uh, I've I've tried it a while back, and it worked fine. But it w- I tried it when it, like on its first couple versions or so, and I haven't tried it since. So that's that's well, uh, my my bad there. I did download it, and I tried to put it in GNOME boxes. It would not. It failed to load uh, in GNOME boxes. 
That's so, so strange because that's where I used it was in gnome boxes. I just kind of moved on, but Brian, you play with it for a little bit. So, what are your impressions of it? Like, I mean, well, does it offer the same benefit as like, you know, regular a regular Gentoo install? You know, I'm not an expert in Gentoo. I, obviously, there are a couple of people that I knew back in the, some of the series that I did on my channel that would come in and talk about Gentoo. I finally did the install of Gentoo. It was it was painful. Uh, but it was a learning experience and people once you, I, I'm assuming once you learn that and do it enough times, it would be second nature. But for me, that's just not what I enjoy. I enjoy the learning part, but not the taking forever to compile stuff in that. So that makes red core very approachable. You still get some of these benefits of gen two. They have some tools in here that are supposed to give you, I mean, the whole idea behind gen two is it's kind of tailored to your hardware, you're building mm -hmm. Linux around it. They have some tools in here that, um, you know, it, they call it their Swiss Army knife here, Vassal, I think it was called, and mm -hmm. it allows you to basically detect the CPU cores you have, install some of the portage custom to your hardware portage packages and things like that. So it does attempt to give you that Gen 2 experience and tailor the build to your system, which I think is awesome. It uses LXQT. Uh, so those who are LXQT fans of desktop environment will absolutely dig that. It has a very beautiful wallpaper. But I'll tell you the thing I liked a lot was the pre-installed software was a very nice selection of pre-installed software. You know, you got mm -hmm. Steam, you got Lutris by default, which not a lot of distros include Lutris uh, by default. Falcon mm -hmm. Prime, GovC View, PC Man FM, VLC. And then there's uh, Sisyphus, I think it's called, GUI uh, Sisyphus. Software. Sisyphus installer. Yeah, it's their package I mean, manager. Got a huge catalog of software. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was really cool because you could, it, it reminded me in a way of Arch where you could just go in there, type in a package. It's going to be there built that you could just click install and move on. So I would say if you're interested in Gentoo, this would be a fantastic first experience for you versus necessarily going through the compiling version first. And then if you want to go to the compiling version later, great. But this would be a fantastic first experience for Gen 2. Yeah, like dipping your toes in the water kind of thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. But did you only do it in VirtualBox? I did, yes, in VirtualBox. Yeah, because I got the previous one to work in VirtualBox, and it was marvelous. And that's why well, it wasn't VirtualBox. It was Gnome Boxes. But same. All right, okay. Mine was VirtualBox before, and I thought, yeah, this is great. Let's get it on my hardware. But for some reason, it just doesn't want to know. <laughs> so Gnome Boxes, really thing. Fedora guy? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> moving on <laughs> so if if you if you don't want to ha deal with any kind of gen 2 based thing and you want to look for a more easy to use distribution then linux mint 19 might be something that you'd want to look at and they just released their latest the latest version of 19 was released uh fairly recently and we talked about it previously on a, on a previous episode but uh we just want to talk about the you know the actual release because it is something that a lot of people are interested in and has you know has a lot of buzz around it. So, what do you guys think? Yeah, I was going to say again. I used it for a couple of days uh, after it came out, um, and I never had any problems with it. It just it just works. My difficulty is I never really see all the you know, you know they talk about I've improved this, I've improved that, and I've added this and I've added that. But like I've explained to you before, just as a basic user. You miss all that goodness and miss all that richness unless you really get deep down into it. So installing it, using it, running it, fine, not a problem at all. Understanding what the improvements do for the average user, no idea, because it just works like the previous one did. 
I mean, that's kind of the point of backend improvements just to make it where it's, it's as um, not obvious as possible. Seamless as possible. Yeah. 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 But there are updates to this version compared to, you know, 18.3. So, I mean, yeah. they've redesigned the welcome screen to actually be functional. Be useful. Well, yeah. I mean, and it is actually a pretty good welcome mm-hmm. screen now. I mean, it has mm-hmm. everything you need to start up, whether it be the drivers, updates, uh, so that is definitely an improvement. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Mint was like one of the first distros to include a, a welcome screen. It's just the one they have now is, it's useful. Yeah. They, I think they were, but it was kind of like not very yeah. useful. It was like a splash screen sort of, but right. it was, I like the, the fact that they were like first on the idea sort of, but like now they're kind of like revamping it to make it more like, you know, uh, providing like documentations and stuff like that. And there was a concern about their updates. So they did integrate time shift, which solves Mm -hmm. some of the update worries. Not everything. Michael, you're not completely convinced, but no, I, 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 I think it's a decent workaround for the issue, but I don't, I don't think it solves the issue. I just think it uh, provides a solution around it, which is better than nothing, which is a solution around it. It solved the issue. Around well it. done, Mint. It's a beautiful <laughs> OS. It is definitely one of the ones I recommend a lot of people who are trying Linux out for the first time go out and try and, and utilize because it's just got a very familiar, stable base. I think Mint is, this new version of Mint is gorgeous. I love what they did with the, the snapshots. I think it's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the idea that they're introducing things like time shift by default in there because, you know, a lot of people don't think about backing their files. It's kind of like the encryption message that Pop! OS and others were trying to get across. So they're getting across here uh, with the backups of your system and being able to go. If you have a situation where you do an update and you boot and all of a sudden you get that black screen of text, instead of distro hopping like most of us do, now mm-hmm. you can just revert the updates back and get back into a working system. So I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I've enjoyed my time in the new Mint and always excited for what these guys are up to over there. But that's mm-hmm. also one of the things they've added to the welcome screen is to set up time shift right away, which is mm-hmm. awesome. The only thing I would say about it is that if you're on 18.3, you know, I'll just say, um, I don't know if you should update. Like if it's, if your 18.3 is working for you, is there enough in here to make you want to update? Why would think, you? Sorry, I, mean, I, I would, I would say well, yes, but... because of 18.04. The, the lead developer is also blogging at the moment about problems with upgrading from 1803 and I don't, or 18.3 to 19. And I don't know if it's their problem or regression mm. that's in the Ubuntu side of things. So what he's saying is hold off from upgrading at the moment until we've ironed out all these bugs and we'll let you know when it's ready. Because I noticed that the Ferran OS was saying that on his, he's managed to upgrade Ferran, but he's now stopped everyone else from doing it because of these regression problems within i think the ubuntu update obviously they build upon ubuntu and then do their own mint thing um but going back to that time shift thing what's really interesting is is if you use time shift on other operating systems as well it doesn't care because it will just list you all of the backups you've got and what operating system you took them from so there's no you know you can't make a mistake and try and uh, restore linux mint and you actually put peppermint back on or wherever else you've used it so that's a really nice feature about time shift. You can use it if you're a, if you're a distro hopper. It's awesome. Very nice. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So coinciding with that as well, and I don't know whether they chose to do it at the same time, um, 
but they're also making available, and I've got to be careful because I keep tripping over this, a new Mint Box Mini 2 computer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they've got, they've got two types. They've got the Mint Box Mini 2 and the Mint Box Mini 2 Pro. Now, I think primarily the difference between the two is one has um, a larger SSD by default. Um, and I think the other one, you can get more RAM um, installed. But it certainly sounds like you know, they're selling this as a machine for everybody to use. And yet in their preamble, they talk about, and you can use it in an industrial environment at temperatures ranging from minus 40 degrees Celsius to 85 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Now, for those of you guys who are not aware of what Celsius is, that's a range oh, of flipping cold to flaming hot. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. That definitely yeah. helps. Yeah. yeah, and it runs on a quad-core Intel Celeron. So if you're looking for this nice little machine to stick out the back, it supports 4K resolution. It'll be out of the way. Um, the only thing that I think is the downside is the price. It's $299 for the basic and $349 for the Pro. Now, would any of you guys consider buying this particular? If I can product? blame it on Rocco. I, I'll help you out with just that. one of these. Yeah, I'll, Rocco's I'll been... Out. Rocco's been a huge bro lately because I've been blaming all these purchases uh, to my wife on him, and he's been a champ, man. Every time she comes downstairs and like, why did you order this? And I'm like, Rocco made fun of me. Uh, so this is, this is the new one where Rocco can make fun of me and it might show up. But I, yeah, so there's a story where I created a media box, and I'll tell the short version of it. I wanted to create a media box for my entertainment system upstairs, and I ended up creating this giant computer that was supposed to be mini, but I kept adding and adding to it to my wife's horror and so I kept thinking when I look at stuff like this where it's pre-built and it's tiny and you could stick it there and use it as a Plex server or a Kodi server, uh, as well as, you know, obviously storing pictures and things like that on it for a media center. Or Rocco, you had some ideas with it to improve your distro. Well, I mean, I don't have a lot of room where I'm at, so I could probably get one of those and get a switch for it and use it as a second PC to distro hop on. And it wouldn't take up any more space. Yeah. And I think that'd yep. be an awesome use case for it. I don't know if I would, if I was going to do that, I don't know if I would do this or maybe one of the System 76 ones, I think maybe a better option for me, particularly. Yeah. I like, I like the stuff based on a NUC because the processor can be uh, much more powerful. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, they're using same. the quad core Intel Celeron, the J3455. Is that, I mean, I know they're putting Mint 19 on it, but is that sufficient to run most operating systems well today? Um, yeah, Celeron is actually a pretty, uh, the Celeron is a, is a brand that Intel kind of brought back into like current, like it's, it's, Celeron's used to be the really old thing and it's no longer a, uh, it's no longer that. They brought it back in re, like a new re, reinvigoration of the Celeron brand. So like you can get brand new quad core models and they are pretty good, especially for like a lower end introductory processor, but it's still a low end processor. So right. it's, it's good low end, but it's still low end. And since this particular model doesn't, the product doesn't have an option for an I3 or an I5 or I7 or something like that. Like it kind of, I mean, this is like, still pretty powerful you know. though for a media box considering oh, yeah. you run it on a raspberry Pi having a seller on, you're going to feel like you're flying in comparison. Oh, yeah. So I mean it's not it's I'm yeah. not saying it's it's weak or anything I'm just saying like as far as like uh like overall I, I would have preferred like an i3 but I do like the fact that it has an option for 16 gigs of RAM 
Like that's an extreme amount of RAM for a small set top box type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but I think an cool. i3 would probably raise the price as well. Uh, so I, I think they're trying say, what, to keep what, it at a certain price. And hmm, although I would probably prefer a System76 type uh, mini, this has some great use cases for people who don't have a lot of space and don't need a high-powered machine. All they and need I don't is- like correcting you guys, but you keep saying i3, and I thought I think you meant Ryzen 3. No, no, <laughs> I, I think we meant an i3. Ryzen 3. <laughs> I think we meant, I fixed yeah. it for you. Thanks. <laughs> I, I did mean that, yes. So how does that price point hold up of two ninety nine for the basic? Well, I think that's a little bit higher than I would pay for that spec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean honestly that's roughly around the same price as a laptop now. Yeah. So right. So and is that because it is just like a software house trying to uh, branch out into the, the hardware market. So no, because of, the, they, they don't make the hardware. This you got is a, a lot of unique deal. things in here. This is much smaller, obviously, than a laptop. I mean, you, mm-hmm. yeah. you could stick a laptop next to your home entertainment system, but it look kind of goofy, right? I mean, some mm-hmm. people do it, but this is a little tiny box that's completely fanless with no moving parts that you could stick anywhere. Now, think about like the application where I took the Raspberry Pi and I use it in my car. Uh, you know, to run programs or even mm-hmm. when we're sitting in the school line and it's in park, it has to be in park uh, for the screen to come on. But when you're in park, you can play different games or whatever uh, where we're waiting to pick up the kids. Well, this would be a much more powerful version of that little box. And because it can handle those extreme temperatures, I could still keep it in my car, just kind of like the Raspberry Pi, but you get a lot more power with it. So I think there are specific use cases for this in factories um, you know, garages, those type of things in cars, trucks, where you're looking to put something like this, where it could be really valuable and that price point would not be a deterrent. It is seen, it is a little high just looking at the specs that you get, but I think they'll continue to improve on this design if it's popular enough and we'll get more out of it. But there is a really, there's an option we all drooled about over at System 76 as well to check out if you're interested in that type of thing, because I think it gives it a good run for its money. Yep. Nice. Okay, so moving on to one of my um, favorite desktop environments, XFCE. Uh, We had some great news just recently that they're making uh, good progress heading towards um, 4.14. Now, if you're wondering why they're talking about 4.13 products, that's sort of like the development ground in between the 4.12 that everybody's using now and the 4.14 that we're all going to hopefully end up on. Um, so what they've been able to do is they've been able to port some more um, applications and, and panel plugins and all the rest of it over to be fully GTK compliant. So they've issued some more 413 components. Now, what I'm not sure of, and hopefully more, one of you more technical guys can tell me, is how you would add these to your 4, 412 base that you've got now to enjoy this richness that's coming through. Oh, well, I mean, the main thing is that the way that XFC is built is for a long time, it's been like a modular structure building. So you can take bits and pieces that for 413, that will be compatible because they're not technically connecting to the 412 base. So Mm -hmm. like uh, certain parts, like for example, an application that wouldn't necessarily be associated to another part of the DE, like you could have Thunar and Thunar and the XFC panel don't technically associate themselves. They work and they integrate together through a, like a, a modular plugin system, but they don't, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily like depend on each other. So you can have one be one version and using another version and another one use a different version and it should work just fine. Nice. 
So what's good about this is for, for a long time, people were complaining that XFCE was stagnant. It wasn't moving. There was no development. But we'll leave a list in the in the show notes. But there's at least 11 um, projects that they've updated to the 413 base. Um, so things are looking good. All of these will be made available um, in 1810. And what they're mm-hmm. hoping for is to have 14, um, sorry, 4.14 out for the next LTS release. So fingers crossed, it won't be long now. So we see all this XFCE goodness on a full GTK system. Well, nice. we know why we haven't got a chance to game with Sean Davis, Rocco, because he's clearly been busy. <laughs> uh, when you look at all of these updates and tweaks and things that he's doing here, I mean, Zeb mentioned them, but 11 projects were updated in July from yep. XFCE alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the features they're getting ready for 18.10, the transition from GTK2 to GTK3, uh, and they're expecting it to to come in much sooner than they originally expected. Sean Davis is killing it over there, and this is my, you know, this is this was my first desktop environment when I came to Linux two years ago. This is my favorite desktop environment, always will be. Sean does incredible work and love seeing the new features coming through XFCE. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this isn't like earth shattering news, but this is why we bring up articles like this is because there is always continued work. So everybody's trying out the newest, you know, Linux Mint or elementary beta, but there's all kinds of work going on with Zubuntu 18.10 that they're, and, and now is when they're putting it in. So it ought to be, it ought to be a great release. Yep. Well, another. Uh, distro has given a update for their, it's not a major update. And I'd like to say, Chip, this is for you, buddy. <laughs> Chip in the, in the YouTube channel, he loves Manjaro. Uh, Manjaro 17.1.11 has been released and it's basically just uh, an ISO update for XFCE and GNOME. But Michael KDE, is now moved up to 5.13.2. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's, you know, the best DE. I, I would say everyone here agrees that it's Wrong. the best DE. Wrong. What? what? It's good, though. Mm, wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard Ryan's, uh, you know, all I heard was it's good and the best. Oh. Mm. <laughs> so it's an audio issue. <laughs> so, again, That's this big. is not a major update, but 5.13.2 does bring in Plasma Browser Integration. System yep. settings Brings in, redesigned. And the fantastic external monitor uh, dis- display dis- selection. Oh, yeah. Control. You guys got to talk about Wait. this. This is really cool. I, I did the 5.13 version. I don't remember what distro it was that I booted into with the new KDE. And this screen pops up. And it has like five, five or six different options that you can pick from. And I'm like, what is this? And it has, you know, monitor to the left, uh, second monitor to the, to the right and switched all around these con- different configurations you can just pick from. And I picked which one I wanted to main monitor to the right and the secondary monitor to the left, clicked it immediately switched to this configuration without any hassle or setup at all. It was awesome. That is awesome. Nice. Yep. That when, when I first saw that in the announcement in the, the commits, when I was working on the promo video, it was like, finally, yes. there's an easy way to set up external monitors. And it is it works so smoothly and stuff. I haven't had to mess with it. Like, it just pops up, you click a button, and you're done. Like, 
perfect. But, Michael, this is, exactly something that should, this is something that should be in every desktop environment, yeah. every OS. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I agree. I very much agree. And this is why well, KDE is the best the innovation. Best. The best. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, well, there's also XFCE and Home right. Editions with rebuilds and updated packages as well in this Monjar. Right. 1.11 release and we need that's to- true that's true we should also talk about plasma too yep um. <laughs> <laughs> well forgetting the plasma side of it i actually installed the uh, manjaro deep in version um and i've got to say that is one beautiful distro yeah it looks gorgeous and even simple things like your, your wallpaper which for me is you know, it makes such a massive impact it's just beautiful, be beautiful royal blue that just creeps up into where they get their Manjaro green and orange and then into a pale blue in the corner. And it's just, it's just stunning. Um, the only reason I'm not running it at the moment is because I thought there was a problems with the Bluetooth side of it, but it turns out it's my headphone that, was, that are the problems and not, not um, Manjaro deep in. So, yeah, the, the 17.1.11 base was beautiful. Installed, no problems. Updated, no problems. Used the mm. Manjaro kernel manager. I think I'm on... Th- 4.7 or yeah, 4.17.4 4. rock solid. It's great. Nice. Okay, Lots I need, of I love need, for Manjaro yeah. out there, but you I know what? Try that out. You know what needs some more love, Rocco? Really, dude? Fedora. Fedora. You know who loves Fedora? This guy right here loves Fedora. Fedora's got some news out there we got to talk about because we're getting ready for Fedora 29. Always thinking ahead, Fedora is. Always moving on to the next day. Wow, got- this guy just constantly talking about this. It's a... <laughs> Who I would never do that on a podcast. No. That's just ridiculous. I mean, it, we're supposed to be fair and balanced across. <laughs> well, look. Would, yeah, exactly. Well, look, this may not sound exciting to everybody, but, you know, we, we do talk about distribution, spending time working on the little things behind the scenes that you may not appreciate everyday beauty of, but that create more functionality and ease of use and speed. So Fedora is doing a couple of things. Number one, in 29, they're going to be retiring Yum!, which I think is great because DNF is amazing. DNF is no awesome. reason to use Yum anymore. Just DNF history by itself is one of the most incredible. I just love that because you can go and, and basically uninstall individual updates and all of that. But um, with the Fedora 29, they're also working on the compression of their repository. So they're going to be switching from XZ and GZIP to ZChunk, which everyone's like, so who cares? Well, this creates a huge performance boost. Um, some of these files are 23% larger utilizing these other formats than they would using ZChunk, which means you're going to be able to get to the software faster, get it downloaded. It's going to be smaller, and that's going to increase the size and stability of uh, you know the software store and repository. So those are just some, some of the changes that are coming with Fedora 29, but probably the most notable is Yum being retired out there. So these yeah. these changes are they going to affect? They're going to affect your updates, is what you're saying. The speed of your updates. They could affect the speed there of your updates of and the speed of all of the software in their repository. So now, yep. because it's going to be compressed further, you're going to be able to download software much quicker and getting it installed yep. much faster as as well. Yep. And uh, GZIP is is has been around for a very long time, and ZChunk is is fairly like well, in comparison, it's fairly new. So it, it's it's a a much it's a much uh, more compressed algorithm, so it makes it makes it where it still has the same benefits of using GZIP, but it, it does it more more compression without losing like quality of the compression itself. So like it, it's, it's it's definitely an improvement, 
and DNF for, you know, getting rid of Yum is definitely an improvement because DNF is fantastic. Even though I don't use Fedora, I do think DNF is one of the best package managers available. Um, but uh, just so you know, people, if you are going to use CentOS or anything like Red Hat or anything like that, Yum is still there. This is just applying to Fedora 29 that Yum is being removed. So eventually those other, just the, the distros that are related to Fedora will also do that, but it'll be fairly, a couple years or so. Mm-hmm. And have they given an indication as to when the first beta will be available? They have not. The The thing about Fedora is that they, they don't typically give you a, like a release time, a release schedule because they, they, they don't get, they don't stick to a specific release schedule like Ubuntu does, but they will tell you within like a month or two prior to release that when it's coming. Cool. The next topic today is SUSE was sold for $2.5 billion. Wow. That's and a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money, a, a lot of money specifically for a Linux company. Like, uh, like, cause it wasn't just like, it wasn't a company buying the parent company. Like previously there was a company that per, like Microfocus purchased the parent company of SUSE and just also got SUSE. This time it is purchasing SUSE itself. And that is really interesting because Microfocus used to, uh, they, they, they were using SUSE as a, like a subset of its own co- company. Whereas what they're doing, what QT is doing is they're actually separating so that SUSE is becoming its own individual company again, like it used to be back in the day. So it's going to have a lot more uh, control without having to worry about the parent company trying to tell them what to do. So I'm looking forward to see what happens there. Well, I'm looking forward to try to get uh, Richard Brown on the show to talk to him about it because uh, we've been trying, uh, but uh, our communication hasn't been uh, really fluent so we're going to definitely try to get him on but this is a lot of money to purchase a a company like this what is mm-hmm. what do you think the benefit for them to buy it is i think it just adds to their portfolio as far as like they're an equity company so oh so they're not oh okay i got you so they're not yeah. a business that's running anything they're they're just a comp- an equity company yeah they're they're a private equity company that uh, basically uh, purchases companies and uses them as a way to make more sort of that would yeah, i think I mean, susa has an impressive portfolio of i mean obviously if you look at the couple times they went from novell to attachment to microfocus and now eqt but each time they kind of like doubled or tripled the amount of yeah. money people are paying for them uh they do incredibly well when it comes to enterprise and they have over 1400 employees they make a fantastic profit it is a very well-run company from that standpoint. So I would imagine it was very, very attractive for EQT to come in and pick them up with their enterprise yeah. uh, businesses that they They're the leading up. enterprise distribution of Linux in Germany, for example. And it, it's, it's OpenSUSE has a lot of, um, a lot of benefits, but SUSE itself also makes a lot of great things. And especially like the, uh, like the infrastructure of this, the SUSE infrastructure is just, is amazing. If you look at like the, the fundamentals of how it all works together with the OBS and with the open QA and things like that. So I'm definitely, I, I can't wait to, you know, talk to Richard Brown about having him on the show. Cause I want to talk about all those things. He was very, you know, he pointed out several times. So I think we should mention it again, that there will be no changes. He's assuring people to the user experience. that SUSE isn't going to suddenly cost money. Nothing is changing. It's staying exactly the same. It's really just, I mean, this has happened throughout history and nothing changed then and they don't expect anything will change now. So. 
Actually, it sounds like it may be for the better. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they're also they also announced that or EKT is also announcing they're going to be putting money into SUSE, so it's going to even build it even better than it is. So like, if anything, it's not going to change the negative; it's going to make it better. There you go. Nice. Uh, well, something that is changing um, is the Caden Live video editor. Um, and they're getting close to um, the next gen Caden Live. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of known compatibility bugs, which I think is going to cause people problems if they want to go out and test it. Let's the biggest one I can see is it's not com- compatible with older Caden Live projects. So yes. you're going to have to you're going to have to start again um, from scratch on any given project if you want to do it. In this. Um, so I was reading all about this, and I'm thinking, yeah, really, quite this is quite interesting. But I don't do any video editing, so sorry, guys, I don't really have a Scooby Doo. What this is all about? <laughs> so, um, I think we need to go to Michael, our resident <laughs> editing expert. Well, I'm happy um, to have a chin wag about Caden Live. So. Uh, <laughs> So this, what's really cool about this new version is that there's, there's a lot of improvement to the various different, uh, the fundamentals of the, like, it'll look the same. It'll have some new features and things like that, you know, better, inf- better control for effects and stuff like that. But like the majority of it is a backend infrastructure fix. So like there's a lot of cool things coming. So when, when you import files or import clips, it will automatically split the audio and video tracks. You can edit them more independently rather than having to manually like split them every single time. So that's a, that's a really cool option. And there's a couple things that as far as like uh, bugs from previous versions that are all fixed, like there's a couple bugs that I noticed that are like not really big deals, but they're kind of annoying. And all of those have been fixed in, in my testing. So I'm happy to see that. And as far as like uh, the current projects that are not working, that's just a current situation that the betas are having. Um, because there's so much, so much change, they have to make it. They have to, you know, finish the development for that before they can make sure that the projects are seamlessly upgrading. So right now they don't work, but it, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be in the future. So just so you know that it is a very much a beta, and they do want testing, mm-hmm. but it's a beta. Keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. So Rocco, you're the guy that does all of our editing for us and makes the Destination Linux podcast look great. Is there anything particularly in here that you think, yes, that's going to just save me a lot of time? Well, I'm not exactly familiar with the whole separating of the audio and video channels automatically. So I don't know how that's going to affect everything for me personally. It's just a setting. You can turn it off if you don't want it. Well, it may be a good setting. I don't know. I just never – using Caden Live, it doesn't have it right now. So Right. I split it it probably 50% of the time because it allows me to – uh, mute the audio, but not ruin the video. If I want to use like for a transition point or something like that. Well, usually what I end up having to do is put a volume key uh, in there so that it'll just lower it at that moment is what I usually Yeah, that do. works too. But I did try it out and I was really excited to try it out. Unfortunately, like you said, Michael, the projects don't exactly work right now. So I tried to import a current uh, version project into it. It didn't work. But hopefully by the time it comes out in August, um, it will be fixed. And this is such an important project. When I think back, you know, starting with Linux, this was one of the projects that first blew me away. And I thought, you know, coming from a Windows and Adobe Premiere and thought, okay, I can I can use Linux and not have to ever boot back in to Windows again because of having Caden Live there. There are other alternatives 
out there, some more professional, some less, some kind of supposed to be at the same level. But Caden Live to me was the one that caught my attention. It was the one that kind of made me feel at home coming from Premiere. And it's just a very powerful editor that allows you to do powerful things very quickly and efficiently. And I just absolutely love everything about this program. I'm so glad they're continuing to enhance it because I think it is a critical piece of other people deciding to stay with Linux as their main desktop environment. Having a powerful video editor out there is going to be one of those things that a lot of people will look for. And Caden Live is an important piece of that yeah. portfolio. It also adds a lot of improvements to the performance because they're doing this. Like there's a, a lot of times where you're doing editing, you're looking at the timeline, you're looking at the, the effects panel, the properties of the clips and stuff like that. And you have a small little monitor of what you're doing. We don't need that monitor to be the full 1080p quality video. So right. they're making it so that the monitor can now use a low res version so it can render stuff faster while you're doing the editing. So you don't have to worry. So if you're doing certain things that you need to see uh, a full, full version, you can full screen the monitor. But if you don't need it, you can do a smaller version and, and get everything done faster. So I like that approach too. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing because I don't use that monitor actually. I full screen that little monitor onto my secondary screen. And that's yep. how I, I do that too. Uh, about, you know, 50 50. Sometimes, sometimes I don't need it. Sometimes it's nice to see is like, make sure it's exactly where I want it to be. But if I, if it's just like, I'm going to do a transition and clip here and the clip there and I just do it in the small one because as long as I see it working, it's a lot that matters. Well, nice. speaking of KDE improvements, how are we back on KDE again? How are we not always on KDE? <laughs> wow. <laughs> everyone, lo- everyone who loves the topics of KDE, I, you, you know it. Look, Just seeing you light up as soon as it's mentioned is worth it by itself. KDE <laughs> right? is the leader in innovation. Yeah. I'm sorry. They it's are. True. true. They are. They, they innovate all the time. Yep. That is true. So Nate Graham has put another usability for the best. and productivity, part 25 this time. And the biggest feature coming out, Michael. It's not the biggest. The biggest continue. feature coming out. We can finally yes. hit. Control Alt T for a terminal. <laughs> for the console. <laughs> it's not the biggest. <laughs> Something you could pretty much do in any desktop environment. Mm-hmm. And now you can do it in users. To be fair, it is not something brand new that you couldn't do before. Default. You could just you just had to manually set it up for you default. if you wanted. You're the big default guy. I am the big default guy, and I'm to- totally uh, not. I'm not saying this is not good for a lot of people. I'm just saying that it's not the most important news from this release. Um, what do you think? That, still, what do you think? Michael doing a moonwalk backwards. Yeah. What do you there think you is the biggest thing coming out in this? I I think the the really cool stuff that's coming out in Dolphin is going to be is, is great. Like the there's a new share menu that's coming in Dolphin. And the, the share menu is like, uh, do you want to send it to your phone for KDE Connect? Or do you want to send it directly to Telegram? So any application that it direct, has direct integration with the desktop, you can just say right-click, send to the send via this. That's fun. I mean, yeah. it's not great for everybody because not everybody needs that. But the people who do need it is fantastic because I, I stopped dragging and dropping and moving things or like mounting drives a long time ago since I started using KDE Connect and all this other stuff. So I'm happy to see it. You know what my favorite feature is, Rocco? What's that? Discover Toolbar no longer experiences layout breakage when navigating between apps. That's Why are we talking about KDE again? <laughs> Wait, I just want to throw in that it's somehow 
missed, I missed it on the radar that back in the usability, uh, articles that he writes in, in version, in episode 21 on his blog, he noted something that what drove me insane. And that was that you can now in these versions open dolphin and root again. Yay. They brought it back. Oh, finally. So one of the bug fixes was dolphin and Kate can once again be launched when logged in as the root user, which is something that should have never went away in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but they had all the technical reasons. And I'm sure Michael, you could sit down for an hour with us and tell us all the technical reasons why we shouldn't have that. This is, this is a problem about, (laughs) but uh, I think it's a wise decision and a great move by them to put it back in. Yeah. I understand why they did it. And it was mainly because if they, they took it out because there was an issue with it doing it. If you did it at a certain time, it would potentially not like a time of the day, but anything, but while there was code that was not ready, it would potentially break things. So it's better for them to say just right now it's not available. You know, uh, they also didn't ever say that it was coming back. So I'm glad to say it's coming. I'm glad to see it actually is coming back. So that, yeah. because a lot of people do do like that, but something that uh, people don't necessarily like is now GitHub. Uh, thing, but this is a completely different topic. And this is a very interesting issue because it's not GitHub or Microsoft's fault in this case. But wow, uh, did you say in, it's not Microsoft's fault? Yeah, it's got to be Microsoft's in this, fault. In, in this particular GitHub, case, as soon as they bought it, they get hacked. <laughs> yeah, in this particular case, the GitHub repository for Gentoo was hacked uh, fairly recently and was taking control, and a lot of files were being removed, and most of the scripts were done. At one point, they like replaced a, like lots of parts of like the compiler with RM-RF and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, if you're not aware of what RMRF is, it just deletes everything. <laughs> so don't put that in the um, terminal, please. Yeah, don't use that. Don't use that. It'll be in our show notes. Copy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah. this is just the GitHub repositories. This is n- nothing to do with right. Gen two itself, right? Right. Well, it is. It is the Gen two. The difference is the Gen the GitHub repository for Gen two is not a mirror. It was its own separate thing. So it kind of had a little bit of confusion for some people thinking that this was a, like more important than it really is. But the infrastructure of Gentoo is on Gentoo.org and is not affected by this particular thing. So this they also discovered this ridiculously quick. And you know what I find funny right. about this whole story is anytime anything happens in Linux that happens to be some type of security vulnerability thing, which generally ends up yeah. being like somebody didn't put two-factor authentication on or something small like that, the media freaks out. Like, yeah, and they blame Linux because Linux is awful. Or, uh. <laughs> meanwhile, Windows is having, you know, controls taken over through JavaScripts in a browser. But, hey, with Linux, yeah. you know, uh, you've got this one little thing where somebody forgot yep. to put uh, two-factor authentication. It makes headline news. Oh, my gosh, yep. Gen 2 Linux got hacked. You know, one of the most advanced versions <laughs> of Linux got hacked. Well, yep. that's the headlines you saw everywhere. But it's completely nonsense when you think right. of it. Because this the is, repo, it's not even that it's not even an yeah. important repo. It's just a exactly. mirror of people who use GitHub, and they're like, "Oh, it's it's like Linux is like we told you Linux is a problem." Like completely ignore the fact that our systems are being crypto locked, and we have no option but except pay thousands of dollars to get our computers back. That's not important. Uh, GitHub, someone got to the password access, and okay, yeah, not a big deal. But, but I actually saw articles saying that like Linux users who thought they are safe need to think again. I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a, where are you going well, with the, this. The kind of funny thing is, it also shows that just because you you might be uh, 
you you might be an ex- expert at something like a pro a programming developer you know you, you're you're an expert in that kind of field you might still make mistakes so uh in this case it was because they used a like they used a password scheme that was kind of uh problematic rather right? it was a completely different a password for every website like that's one of the things they tell you to do but it was like a scheme or a schema where if you figure out one of the website's passwords you could kind of guess the rest of them and that's kind of what created this problem so they've addressed it they've actually added two two factor authentication and all this other stuff so this is very unlikely to happen again but it does kind of teach you that even if people who are very very educated in a particular topic and are ex- like ex- experts and are developing one of the hardcore distros and stuff, people still make mistakes. So, yep. you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Well, the good news is this next article that we're going to move on to is a bit of a double edged sword because don't panic, Gmail hasn't been hacked. <laughs> That's because the developers they don't, have to. they don't have to hack them because Gmail is giving access to your emails to certain third-party developers. But no, 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 don't panic. They have been vetted. <laughs> so your email to find out how Auntie Flo's dog is doing is really important to the developer of that particular app that wants to get that GIF of the dog. Well, Google, what are you doing? You've already got enough privacy concerns with everything that you use about us. Who gave you permissions to give somebody my private emails. I think this is even more shocking than the fact that we know they get information about us. Nobody wants to believe me. Everybody wants to make little jokes about Ryan hating Google, and I don't hate Google, but this is just more... Apple fanboy alert. This is just more credence to the fact that Google constantly has crap permission systems and constantly misleads people who are already very easily misled about security out there in public because it wasn't but a month or two ago where Google's like, guess what, guys? We're no longer going to be reading your email. But they didn't tell you in the small print, even if they had small print, was, by the way, we're still going to leave it completely open to all the third-party app developers out there that want to go read your email. Not just snapshot it, but literally be have access to go in and read your individual emails and look at your attachments and mm-hmm. everything that you send. This, to me, is just a constant reason why you should be on Proton Mail and give up on this Gmail crap. Okay, okay. As an Android user, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, everybody agrees that the, that this is a a terrible thing. But this is, I mean, I can't help but say that there's this is not something surprising. Like, this is not, to me, like, okay, so when you do an app or when you install something, you're, it says... This is going to have access to all of your emails. So you know that. Like, I know that we've kind of got to the point where we just click on by permission to just get through to the app. But when you're using a Gmail address and when you're accepting these things, you I mean, you more or less have to realize that that happens, that they're going to read every single email you have. So any email that you have going through a Gmail account is going through Google servers. They have everything they want on it. It's just, it's not okay. I didn't it's say it was okay. okay. People allow it, and it's not okay that, you know, Google, I think, misleads people by going out and, and making this big announcement, like suddenly they're privacy-focused and we're not going to read your email. And meanwhile, leave all this stuff open. It reminds me of when I did the video recently on when going back to Windows after two years, 
and I go to install a Blu-ray player from the app store and it wants access to everything, to read everything in my file system. How many people do you think are installing that Blu-ray player because, you know, Windows doesn't come with that then anymore are mm-hmm. actually going to read all of that? Yep. And, but- and, and realize that, oh, this Blu-ray player actually is going to now read everything on my computer? Yeah, but most people, me and you and Rocco and Zeb, and we're going to look at that and go, I'm not installing that. But your average user is not going to care. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes Gmail so dangerous is they're so used to seeing those app permissions and not caring. Yep. I agree. And not realizing what that actually is doing, what you're giving somebody access to do an email. My gosh, you've got everything there now. That's like literally somebody reading your mail out of your mailbox. In Mm -hmm. fact, it's worse and it's against the law to read people's mail. So it really shocks me that we actually thought at some point that that we need to create a law to make it a federal crime to go and open somebody's mail, their mailbox. We get more important documents now in our email, but allow companies like Google out there to do this stuff to me is absolutely heinous. It's actually kind of worse considering a lot of people use their email as like a, like a, a catch all for being able to re, like reset passwords and stuff like that. So yep. like, mm-hmm. even if you get there, you get someone's email, you can just assume you also can get whatever password you want to. Proton mail. That would be a good alternative. But I mean, in fairness to what Rocco said as well, it is down to the individual user because if you're going to install a torchlight app on your phone, why would it need access to absolutely everything? Yep. Yep. It just the camera and a battery. It just goes back to being careful when you're installing stuff. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're on Windows, if you're on Linux, if you're no matter where you're at, Android, just be careful what you're installing and understand, mm-hmm. don't just click by these permissions. Understand what the permissions are, what they're going to do, what they're allowed to have before you do it. Now, some people may be okay with giving them permission to do all this stuff. But I, I do agree there's a large percentage, Ryan, of people that just are so used to it, they just want to click accept, okay, and get into trying this new app out that they don't really think about the repercussions of hitting yeah. accept. Mm-hmm. But seeing as how everybody loves Google News, we're going <laughs> to stick with that. Um, so the GPMTP, short for Google Play Music Desktop Player, has a new version out and you know, you can be saying to yourself, why would we be talking about this on a Linux Yeah, why would show? we, Rocco? Okay, so it does work with Linux. And if you are using Google Play Music for your music subscription rather Stop. than Spotify, oh, you you can um, use this to, dare I say, sign into your account and play your music. Okay, if you have a YouTube uh, Red subscription, you automatically get uh, the music with it. This will allow you to play it. But one of the new features that came out with this is the YouTube Music integration. So now you can not only play your library of music, but you can also switch it through the system tray to play YouTube Music, where all of your liked videos of your audio will be available to play in this music player, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. What kind of permissions do you have to give it? You got to give it everything, <laughs> everything about you. <laughs> Read my whole computer. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's good to, to see some of these apps. I mean, what I try to think about here is new users coming to Linux, wanting to be able to have those services like Google music or YouTube red and that type of stuff when they come over here and not. It's a YouTube premium now. Yes. Yeah. They okay. did, they yeah, did keep change changing it. the name. Cause they're Google. 
It'll change next week again. It'll yep. go into beta. Yep. But in any it'll case, go into beta. <laughs> it is an Electron app, which I know there is some weird, strange thing out there where a lot of people in the Linux world hate Electron because of its uh, being bloated or whatnot. But it is an Electron app. So, uh, But this app so- features, you know, the normal things that you would expect out of a music player. You know, support for media keys. Uh, you can customize it to be a dark theme. So a lot of if you're into the dark themes, you can definitely do that. It has integrated desktop notifications. So it, if you're into that, if you're into YouTube music or if you're into you have the subscription, it's definitely something to check out. Well, you know, uh, I noticed, Rocco, when uh, we were putting this document together this week, you just kept loading us up with Google News. So yeah, it was all I my fault. officially declaring Rocco and Zeb as platinum Google users. <laughs> and speaking of which, the, uh, Google is also now a platinum member of the Linux Foundation. Yay! So we now get a valid reason why we can talk about Google. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, so Google recently <laughs> raised its donation from 100000 to 500000 a year. Uh, the CEO literally pulled that five hundred grand out of his pocket and just, no, he didn't. I'm, I'm lying. But that's uh, not a lot of money for Google. Good, probably. In any case, it is great <laughs> that uh, they were able to, uh, you know, up their money towards the Linux Foundation. So, so what Michael, do you guys think? Michael, they had definitely have access to the kernel now. They definitely are going to control the no. kernel completely, and they're going to take over, right? Definitely not. So uh, I just uh, what I wanted to talk about this particular topic was because a lot of people are looking at it as the companies that are like platinum members or sponsors or even on the board of Linux Foundation as having power over the kernel. They do not. They, the Linux Foundation has a, it's a, has a deep in connection with the kernel, but it's not in control of the kernel. So it, it does the, the, fun, the, it funds the kernel, it supports the kernel, it advocates for Linux in general, and it, it pays the, pays the like employment of, not really employment, but like the supporting funds of, uh, Linus Torvalds and Greg KH. So like there is a connection, but that doesn't just because they're, they become like a platinum sponsor or they come on the board. They don't really, they don't get control. So, you know, Microsoft's been on the, the, uh, been a member of the Linux foundation for uh, quite a while and they still have never taken over control. So it just, it's really good that they've done this and it's helpful to the Linux foundation. And overall, it's a good for the ecosystem. You don't have to worry about any kind of control issues or anything. Because nice. Linux still has that. Well, you've got IBM, Intel, Samsung, Microsoft, and that one company I can never pronounce. Can someone help me out, Michael? Huawei. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah. H-U-A-W-E. How is that not obvious? It's Huawei. Huawei. H-Huawei. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. How it's silly so, of me. It's such but, a rude. Actually. And you're from the phone industry. Surely you should have known that. Uh, yeah, but they're kind of... Uh, there's a long story behind why they're not really like a relevant Huawei. developer within the uh, the the thing yet uh, within no. the US, anyways. Because I think Huawei's is they, they've actually shot themselves in the foot, and I don't like them anymore because they purposefully made it where you can't unlock the bootloaders anymore. Yes. they used to they used to do it, and now you can't do it anymore. So you're dead to me, Huawei. <laughs> there you Huawei. have it. Uh, but they are all sponsors now of Linux. So there you go. You've got a lot of big corporations in there throwing a lot of dough at, at Linux's foundation's way. So ultimately, yeah. I think that's I mean, a good thing. Good job, Huawei, for giving money to Linux Foundation. Stop being stupid about your bootloader. Yeah. And you're, you're on warning from yeah, Michael. I, t- I, I do have a Huawei phone, though. So don't I like, I don't, you know, I, yeah. TuxDigital.com forward slash. It's an old phone Huawei. I don't use. 
Okay. No one can, you can't, you have to, you're not helping the spelling there. So that's still not, not a helpful anyway. Uh, so, so let's talk about something going, that's actually good instead of Huawei. Uh, yeah. So, so, so going from a warning shot, how about giving us an open shot? Wow. Nice. Nice. Wow. Sir. Well done, sir. So, so speaking of open shot, uh, OpenShot has a new release of 2.4.2, adding some cool effects and some improved instability. I mean, I think I might have said instability, but I meant improved, improved stability. <laughs> and and that's that's very good. I like stability. And uh, so that they cool. He's having such a hard time talking <clears throat> about something that's not KDE related, right? You see him, he's what? just struggling. He's <laughs> like, "Is there anything bad I can say?" Because these nice words hurt every time. All I'm he saying. can no, say. I do like some of the stuff they're doing. It's 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 nice and interesting. It's just Kaden Live already had it, and it's just not that. I was anyway. just gonna say all he can see in these yeah. Uh, yeah. these notes of saying what the new feature is. Kaden Live has it. Kaden Live has it. Kaden Live has it. <laughs> <laughs> While I was watching the, intro- the the introductory of the features, I was thinking, I was like, okay. Okay, I don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. But it is cool that they're doing this and the, the audio mixing is really cool because it's like it's automatic audio mixing. And I do like that. And I, I, I wish uh, Kaden Live had that. So, you know, there are some things that it, that it has over Kaden Live for sure. Did you get that on the record? Yeah, there are. It's, some it's recording, has, Zeb. It's recording. But, so we got but there's a, that you, you missed that second part where I said, not many. Kaden Live's the best. <laughs> yeah. So, has anybody tried this new release? Is I mean, uh, I did. What do you think of it? Because um, in the past, it's been known to crash often. Yeah. You know, Caden Live crashes too, ever so often. So, but it does have a great Blast recovery me. system built into it so that when it does crash, you just say recover and it usually comes back. So right. I don't know that it crashes any more or less than Caden Live. I think I had one or one issue while I was uh, rendering a video where it crashed, but it did the same thing. It recovered the file fine. You know, OpenShot is very beautiful. In fact, if a new user came to Linux and was maybe from, you know, I don't know, Microsoft Movie Maker and those type of things where they're more used to a 3D GUI-like interface, I would think they would find OpenShot more inviting when you first log into it than Caden Live. But I would say ultimately when it comes to being able to edit for me, I find more familiarity and enjoyment in Caden Live's structure. But I love some of the things they're adding to OpenShot with, when it comes to effects. And I think ultimately, once you get the stability out of the way, learning the theme one or the other, you know, is just a matter of taking the time to learn it. But which one has the most effects that you can do most most uh, advanced things with the videos once you have them imported is going to be a winner. And so seeing that, you know, they have new auto auto, audio mixing options and they have these new effects such as crop, hue, color, shift, fix, lay bars, wave, shift, and all this stuff added in there, I think is a huge improvement. And I like the competition being in there, even though it's open source. Yeah, so that it pushes Caden Live and others to do more. um, I do like the fact that some of these features that they added for these effects are easier to do in OpenShot than they are in Caden Live. Like when I say Caden Live has everything, it's because they just have a, a ton of features, but they they have a big learning curve to learn how these features work and stuff like that. And sometimes they 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 they're not intuitive at all. Where I was testing one feature and it was doing something that I didn't expect it to do, and I had to compensate for it. I did like the fact when I wanted to just add a hue or a crop to OpenShot, the effect was very simple to add, and then, so I like I like that. So I, it is. I like the fact that they're doing, they're adding some powerful features, but also doing it in a, you know, a user-friendly way. 
All right, Michael, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the news, and we're going to talk to you about what you've been up to this week. Besides moving right. pianos. Besides being a piano mover. That's, that's what I do every day. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm Johann Sebastian Mike. Uh, anyway, uh, so when I wasn't doing uh, piano moving, which is rare, I was working on making a product review video. And there's a, I, you know, there's something the thing a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot of effort going into making videos. You know, even live streams like this, there's still there's preparation time. There's you know, uh, setting up all the notes and doing the editing and all that stuff. There, you know, there's still in every aspect of making video content. There's a ton of it. And one of the things I was working on this week is a product review video that I'm going to release this coming week, and um, it's. It's interesting because it's I did like 35 videos and I'm still probably about half done. I did about 35 videos in order to edit those down into a single video. And well, okay, so one, one of, of the videos, one of the questions I, in your Telegram group was, "You did 35 videos. Why would you do that?" Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, as far as like the the structure of it, making content is, it's hard to just have like a a big list of things you want to talk about in a product and just in one go, do all of them. So what I do is I create an outline for items and just say, okay, remember this particular piece. And then I will do a video on that piece. And then I'll, I'll have them, re- I'll have the outline ready to go. So I'll just record back to back, but it also gives you able to uh, easily piece them together as well as make multiple takes just in case you wanted to say, you forgot to say something, things like that. So it just, the multiple videos is to make it so that it's easier to get to the editing process because the editing takes the most time and is probably the most annoying. But if you are prepared with the multiple videos, it makes that a lot easier. Um, unfortunately, one of the preparations I did uh, sort of backfired at some point. I was talking about the product reviews, uh, the products negatives about the video uh, in the video and the microphone uh, didn't work well. Somehow it didn't work at all. I so I was using Right. Convenient. The on- change the batteries. Perfect timing, too. Uh, I did change the batteries, yes. Definitely convenient. Um, it was not like the talk. Uh, so I had this issue where the on-camera was taking on the on- on-board camera microphone was using, was doing the audio. So I still have audio and I still have the video. But I didn't notice that until after I had done everything and put everything away and all this other stuff. So this is kind of like, you know, even if you do a lot of preparation, there's some things that still might go bad and it's okay. You just kind of just deal with it and move on. And in this particular case, the, the section about the videos, the negative about the product also is the part of the video that has negative value of, of audio. So you're a sellout basically because people are going to watch this video. You're going to be like, and the negatives are, and it's going to be silent, and then it's going to get right into the positive stuff. No, 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 no. You're clearly no, a sellout. You've been paid no, by this product, no. and I think people need to... Oh, sorry. Wow. Wow, sir. <laughs> One, the audio is not good, but it's okay. there. And I'm leaving it there, and I'm leaving it bad because I don't want to set everything back up and record it for just one <laughs> one segment. <laughs> so I did check everything else, and everything else is fine, but just that one. Uh, so there's, there's, it's just kind of interesting because there's like... It's just a, a thing I want to talk about as far as like a lot of effort is going to all these different videos and we all make, a, a, you know, our own set of videos and most of us do editing. Uh, not everyone, but most of us do editing and it's, and it's a lot of effort that a lot of people don't really 
realize how much effort there is because it, you know, when you look at a video and you look online and it's like this, this nicely crisp setup video, most of the time there's at least four or five times longer effort in order to make that video in the first place. At least. Yeah. So, yeah. Wouldn't you love to get a behind the scenes Michael video? <laughs> Right, you know where he can't cut it, and it's just his raw, like rambling. <laughs> you could totally do that uh, in in this particular dist- uh, destination Linux episode of live streams. That happens. Oh yeah, yep. Sure. In live streams, that does happen. And Marco, give us some give us some good gaming news, man, to, to pump us up. Well, speaking of live sessions, we did a live yeah. session uh, the other week, and somebody had mentioned about playing Overwatch, and yeah. that they couldn't play Overwatch in Linux. And there's an article out right now that talks about installing Overwatch on Linux and it has to do with installing Lutris. And by the way, I'd love to get the Lutris developer on here to talk about his whole um, yes. program because it's definitely something that makes it easier to play games on Linux. But you can install Lutris and then install Overwatch and it is playable. So... Are you guys Overwatch fans? It's super complex, Rocco. First of all, we got to go through the steps. This is going to confuse Hold me. on, hold okay. on. Let me write this down. Okay, first, install Lutris. Okay, okay. I got it. Mm-hmm, got it, got it. Then head to Lutris Overwatch page. Okay, and here's where it gets complex. This is where mm-hmm. you guys might get lost. Click the install button. Wait, wait, wait what? Hold which, on, let me write that button? down again. It, the install button. Okay, got it, okay. And mm-hmm. then you're done. And now you can play Overwatch on Linux. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Perfect. it can't be that easy. This is come on. <laughs> no, that's it. And uh, yeah, I've played Overwatch a lot on consoles, and uh, you know, I enjoyed the game. I got tired of it after a while, and I know people absolutely are fanatics of this game. And there's a lot of competitions and things on Twitch out there. Now, me, I'm more of a ballistic overkill guy still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Overwatch has mm-hmm. got a huge fan base, and I know a lot of people who are switching to Linux would be like, but what about my Overwatch game? Uh, here you go. I've right. never actually played Overwatch, but I assume it's automatically inferior to ballistic overkill because I have played that, and it's on Linux. Of course. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. It's, nat- it's native, but this is cool. I mean, I, I have never played it because it's never been accessible to me now that it kind of is. Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but as far as uh, you know, what is accessible is there's a lot of Steam games on Linux, and the announcement from the Steam communities showed that there's a somewhat li- a small amount of people playing on fake Linux. Fake news. It is fake news. <laughs> yes. Hashtag fake news. The problem there's so many different levels. Let's. Uh, I'll, I don't want. I won't go into a diatribe of why it's bad. Um, like why these these numbers are wrong. But they are wrong, and uh, overall, it's just it's it's interesting because I think it did go up from the last time they displayed the information, but the information then was also wrong. So anyway, yeah. Well, I think what's interesting here, what I really what people need to realize is the, these numbers come out and they're like, oh my gosh, Linux is only half a percent of the market share when it comes to gaming, based on Steam's periodic marketing which has a lot of faults into it but one thing i do want to get out is to make sure you set your preferences in steam to linux yeah and this is very simple right uh, rocco get your pen hold on okay go ahead <laughs> you're gonna click your username at the top right hand corner of your steam profile click mm-hmm. dos gonna, geek <laughs> there you go click preferences preferences okay 
then scroll down to platform preferences mm-hmm. and choose SteamOS plus Linux. And there you go. And then you you are not you're Windows, still right? going to get the same other offering. So if you're still one of those people that dual boot and want to see Windows, but what it's going to do is basically let Steam know that your preferences is for Linux games. When you're searching things, it's going to see your preferences are for Linux games. And if you're getting a survey with those few moments that you boot in the Windows, don't take it. Boot back into Linux. <laughs> yeah, don't take it. So, but, I mean, but, I, a lot of people talk about, I never got a survey. I never got a survey every time this comes out. So I think this number is a little undervalued. A lot of people I've seen that have done similar statistics or more in the 0.9 to 1% of the market share. Uh, but Mac OS has dropped as well. And I am hoping most of those users are going to Linux. Uh, they have a 2.93 share. But mm-hmm. my question is, how reliable are these monthly numbers i mean they're not reliable i mean that's a whole that's a varied thing i mean from real life matters and vacations and all kinds of stuff to say you know hey for the month of june we're down to 0.52 percent i mean i don't i would definitely much rather go by a a yearly number rather than a monthly number well they also they also say specifically when the last announcement where they're talking about the numbers where they found out that there was a like the the numbering that we had, we were talking about how it was so low. It was because that they were having people or computers in cyber cafes in China being heavily counted, even though mm-hmm. they were, sh- they shouldn't have been counted. So they, because they were reflashing windows over and over. So it was a whole new machine that Steam thought it was new, but turns out it's just the same one over and over. So the numbers Great. were like, or massively skewed. And they mm-hmm. announced and they admitted that they, 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 it's only supposed to ask you once per year. So why is it doing it a monthly and giving you monthly numbers when, for example, I, I maybe only get once a year or you maybe get once a year, but in most cases for Linux users, it's never. So is that? I need 10,000 Raspberry Pis. I need to cluster them, get them all running and reflashing Steam on a constant refresh basis. And we're going to get this number way up there, man. Ryan, I'm, does in, it for, I, I'm in for 10,001. Do they have okay, any perfect. numbers on you know <laughs> distributions or maybe CP, different CPUs? Yeah, so they CPUs, had numbers yeah. on Ubuntu 18.04 and 16.04 being the most popular Linux distros in use for, which I don't think is surprising. I mean, also within Steam, I, I didn't think see Fedora time, there. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> anyways, uh, that's Got because him. on Fedora we're doing serious business oh, and making okay. things work so that you all can game. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then uh, Intel CPUs, of course, were 80% of the users and 20% used AMD. This is a smarter 20%. And then uh, GeForce 1060 is the most popular GPU of the bunch. So that's some interesting numbers out there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think those numbers can be right because there are more and more very good games coming to Linux. Um, and yes, you heard it. Zeb said very good games coming to Linux. Wow. Um, and one of them that, that, that took my eye is Ant Ventor. Um, and I must admit, when I first saw the name, I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> here with a couple of legs. But actually, it's almost like movie quality graphics. Um, it looks mm-hmm. really, really good. The transitions from scenes to scenes is really good. And although some part of it sort of um, looks like a platform-type game as this poor ant tries to get its way out of um, its little anthill, you get outside and then you get into this point-and-click adventure. Now, the only thing that concerns me 
is how many times am I going to point, click on the wrong thing and die before I learn what the puzzle is going to be? Um, and with you more experienced gamers, how do these sort of um, things come along and, and how easily are they normally to play? Well, point and clicks are, are not so. Now, there's, they're, they're nice adventure games because it's just it's not meant to be like a frustrating thing. It's just more of a puzzle game and they're, they're more like a casual, like relaxing type of game. It's definitely the type of game that I would rather play over the ridiculously hard sometimes puzzle games that, you know, you're doing algebra in and writing down things so that, I mean, that's not my idea of relaxing. I mean, it, I guess mm -hmm. it, yeah. it is I fun. Calculus. Yeah. I guess it is fun for some people. I mean, it's, you know, different strokes for different I, folks, but right. um, I definitely like the point and click adventure games. Point and click are great games to play on a laptop or something. Maybe if you have a lower powered machine as well, where you're not going to be able to handle the frames per second, say in like a shooter or something along those lines, they're very relaxing and you're kind of more vested in the story than kind of rushing through. So they can be a lot of fun if they're done correctly. This is kind of this, this game, you know, they, they released it with Linux out there, but it's only got 35 reviews that are positive right now. Uh, so good reviews on it. The graphics look beautiful. People should check it out because the developer Loopy Mood, um, you know, they are supporting Linux. And so if you're a gamer, mm -hmm. go check it out and give them some uh, love on this $4.99 game. I mean, you yeah. can't lose. That's way less than a movie ticket. Just be careful of one thing, though. Um, apparently, if you are a good gamer, it should only take you a couple of three hours to, to finish it. So it's not like it's going to be a long-lasting game unless you then try and go back. And I don't know if you can up the difficulty level to get through it or whether it's just one stagnant stream. But no, beautiful little little game and worth worth checking out. Talking of beautiful games, though. Oh, my gosh. This is your fault, Rocker. You put this in the document, and as soon as you did, I bought it because I could <laughs> not contain myself. <laughs> First of all, the name of the game is so awesome. I hate running backwards. By the way, the little known fact about Das Geek, the only time I ever broke my arm was running backwards. Right? There, there you go. go. So now I you know. I hate running backwards. Um, so running backwards is a shooter shooter game that reminds me very much of Smash TV, but with better graphics. You basically are constantly running backwards, but you have a whole plethora of enemies being thrown at the screen. You're getting power-ups as you go, kind of an R-type, you know, how R-type uh, or space shooters kind of have that. You're getting power-ups as you're going through the different maps and getting different weapons and all this. But you've got enemies just piling in onto the screen. It's very easy in those parts, but then you've got boss battles that come in almost like Borderlands style with the big splash screen that tell you a little bit about the boss. And then you go to war with them, which gets a little more difficult. This is such a fun game to play, man. So are you playing, you say you're running backwards. Are yes. you are you running right to left or what? No, <laughs> I'm just kind of going like this. Uh, okay, always at the top. Um, it's like how you know those games yeah. are they're like those this this not the top the top down scrollers where you're you're it's kind of like the old style of like um, asteroids where you're you're at the bottom and they yeah. scroll up. It's the reverse of that. So you're at the top and you're going down, but you have to run back. You have to run backwards the whole time in order to like pick up power ups and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, the thing I find about astonishing about this is. I think Ryan just used the statement, and this is better graphics than something else. Wow, I'd hate Shut to say that. That's Shut astonishing it. to I use that? I mean, this is coming from the graphics geek here. Game because, again, I know I keep dragging up the same old, same old, but this is like playing something in the 90s 
It's yeah. Exactly. What was wrong with the nineties, Deb? The graphics are absolutely are not nothing in the nineties, but not in twenty eighteen. They're they not pixelated like metal slug type stuff. I just can't yeah, do like the a- um, nostalgic games. Well, listen, those of you who got a Steam controller, which I think the Steam controller and the Steam Link were ridiculously priced during the summer sales, like mm-hmm. four bucks a piece or something. Like that. The controller was like 30, but the yeah. Steam, the Steam controller like works for the Steam as well. So, Well, there. speaking of nostalgic, Ryan ought to love this next one. Yeah. So Spelunky Classic HD <laughs> is a game that uh, I guess is a nostalgia game. And it is now available thanks to the podcaster that shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> it is finally available in a snap. Yeah. So two commands and you can install it and play it. I did play it and it, you know, it reminded you me. You fell of, in love. It's your favorite game ever. Okay. So I'll. No, it's not his favorite. He's got, you know, Dog of Festa. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I I love these type of games. I'll I'll be with Zeb here for the moment. I love these type of games when they came out. Like when they came out, they were awesome. I don't know if I would sit down for hours and play it now, but it is always nice to go back and see the nostalgia games. So did anybody else try it? I have not tried uh, (laughs) Spelunky. Uh, This may be a game, though, I sit down with my son and play on his laptop, which is Linux, by the way. He's five. Uh, but I, this would be a cool game, I think, that he may be able to get into. And that's what I look at these games. They're free. You don't know how long you're going to keep a five-year-old's attention with the game, so spending money on them, not always the best uh, idea out there. But the games like this, you can throw in there. It's a cave exploration game. It's the classic. People love this game. I mean, it has a huge cult following. Um, you you could get Spelunky out there before, but not in a snap. That's what makes right. it cool. I can just go well, I think that's snap. I think that's where the story is. I mean, it's not about yeah. the specific game. It's the fact that Martin and Alan both have been putting in a lot of time mm-hmm. to Snapcraft and to uh, actually putting these specific games into snaps. Uh, mm-hmm. Trackmania Nations Forever was another one they snapped up. Uh, yeah, they also snapped up Zenotic recently. Yep. They did snap up Zenotic, and that is a FPS shooter that is, if it's an arena type FPS shooter, so you have to like Mm -hmm. that fast paced style, but it is an awesome game. And another one that you could install before on Linux. So it's not like this is like brand new to Linux, but the idea is it's super easy to install now with a, like I said, two commands. Yeah, the previous version of Zenotic required you to have to, you have to download the zip file, extract the zip file. Then find out which one match, which of the binaries matches your hardware. Whether you want to use the OpenGL version, the SDL version, it, it, just snap now. Right, it's much better. <laughs> so, thank you, Martin. Appreciate the hard work you guys are doing. Yep. Um, and talking of hard work, gaming on Linux is working really, really hard these days. Um, and they had a celebration this week. They are now officially nine years old. Um. And so, you know, congratulations to Game on Linux. They really do provide an awesome platform, um, for, you know, for people to, to both learn about gaming uh, on Linux and also to how to play individual games. And I know that one of the celebration um, events that they were doing, um, and I don't know whether it was just going to be one game or a number of gamers, but they were doing a nine hour stream, um, a constant stream on Twitch of, awesome. of various, of various games. So. 
you know, big big shout out Very to Damien cool. on Linux. Nine years old. Um, they're doing some 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 great stuff. Now, do you guys ever go there to watch their videos to learn how to play a game? No, that, that typically it's more of a news uh, a news a news thing. So, like as far, I, I learned, I, I use gaming on Linux all the time to get news mm-hmm. for games. Like for I, probably about fifty, at least fifty percent of the content I get for games related to, uh, on. Uh, any of the sh- any of the games that I'm looking for is from gaming on Linux. Like sometimes you'll you'll see bits and pieces from here and there, but mm-hmm. like most of the time, gaming on Linux is the go to for all that information. Now for their live streams and stuff on Twitch, uh, I've caught a couple of them. It's weird their schedules and mine because I'm a big Twitch person, but they're rarely on at the same times that I happen to be watching yeah, Twitch. Because they're based I, in I really want to catch their live stuff more. But the few times that I've caught it, you know, it was very entertaining. They play through you know, the games that they're talking about that week, usually on the gaming and Linux, or at least the times mm-hmm. I've caught it, it seemed to be what was going on. So when they would write an article about a cool game in Linux that week, that would be what they were streaming and playing. Um, and you do get some unique insights into it from them. And yeah. by the way, Amazon Prime offers an ability to give away a free, if you have Amazon Prime, you get a free right. Twitch sub. So mm-hmm. that would be a great way to support them is to give them your uh, Amazon Prime. Absolutely, and it'd be it's free to you as far as like you know providing providing them with you know something to, to give them even back without having to do anything for it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you do decide to do that, that you have to redo that every month because uh, the Twitch Prime requires you to resub every time. Yeah, so, so so you know that. But as far as I think, the my, one of my favorite things about watching the videos and content from Gaming and Linux is they'll they'll play games even if they're not good at them and still mm-hmm. provide you with like some good content because there's a couple of videos where uh, Liam did a video about dirt rally and he's not good at driving games but <laughs> I he, saw that yeah yeah and he got he got to t- to do some hardware testing he got one of those steering wheels so he's like and he's he also says I don't I don't even drive in real life either so I don't cuz I don't I, he lives in like you know uh the UK where you don't have to that much and so he's like, so I, this is my my one few times ever actually driving a steering wheel. So it is just hilarious to see him going through it because he's he's trying to constantly say like explain why he's not good at it. It's just great. <laughs> uh, they're they're an absolute staple to the Linux community. Even people who are not interested in gaming have to understand how important gaming and being able to bring attention to the gaming available on Linux is for attracting new people to Linux who are gamers. Because a lot more people are gamers. Uh, than aren't uh, in your yeah. general population. So um, this, they've just—they're an absolute staple. Their articles are fantastic. They're always informative. They are—they've been friends of the show. They've been on the show. It's just—they're just great people all the way around. So definitely yeah. go out there and support them. And congratulations yeah. on the nine years. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see nine more. Yeah, and yeah. the fact that they've been doing it for nine years is impressive because you know there weren't that many games in Linux nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, they also have a Patreon page if you'd like to support them that way. They have LibrePay, PayPal, and they have a couple of affiliate links for Humble Bundle and GOG. So yep. I would definitely love to say happy birthday. Congratulations to Liam. I got to play with Liam and Mark Rocket League the other day, and it was an awesome nice. time. So <laughs> I didn't invite someone. <clears throat> well, Rocco, you threw one more article in here and you just had to make it Google, didn't you? You just had to make it Google. You can blame it all on me, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on with Google now, Rocco? Well, look, Google is, um, I guess, the newest company to try to get into the gaming market. And this is akin to a service called OnLive that was a mm-hmm. streaming service. And when OnLive came out, 
I was super excited to see how this could affect the gaming because the idea is you stream the game. You don't have to have a powerful computer. You stream mm-hmm. the game from their servers and you are able to play a AAA titles and still not have a really powerful machine. Mm-hmm. The problem is, you know, they had, they were plagued with lag issues on live was and it obviously never took off. But here's the thing. Google, if anybody can complete that type of a service, if anybody can do that, it is Google because of the servers that they have and because of Google Fiber maybe as well. You obviously are going to have to have a good connection to do something like this, but they are definitely get trying to do a streaming gaming service. Um, and I think I think it's great because anything that we can do to, um, you know, you could play a AAA game in your Firefox or, well, probably not Firefox. I don't know if they'd make it to work with That's Firefox, the but the Chrome is- tab, you could play a AAA game if this works yeah, but- out. Potentially, but you know, I guess there's the good side of this where this is like GeForce now. For those not familiar, basically they run the games in the cloud. So all the GPUs and everything are sitting in servers in the cloud. And then you just log in and access it and you're basically streaming the game from their servers. So now you don't have to have that, you know, 1080 or Vega 64 or super powerful computer. You could take your Chromebook potentially and be playing Battlefield on it. Um, that, that's the kind of the advantage or idea behind it. Although, as I understand it, the GeForce now is kind of hit or miss depending, of course, on the one factor that that streaming is really relying on, which is your internet connection. So if you've got a bad internet connection, you're not going to have a good experience there. It is interesting that Google's getting into it, but will they make it adaptable into Linux when they do do it? Will they make it work there? Uh, would be my first question because Google's hit or miss there, even though they're a platinum member in Linux Foundation. Not all their stuff works in Linux. Google loves everybody, so, dude. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm not even sure we would get the advantage, but it would create a unique situation if they did in which now all of those games like Overwatch, Battlefield 5, Fortnite, all these games that people were like, well, I have to boot into Windows to play them, could now play it through a browser and never have to leave Linux. That's the exciting part because yeah. it's not about Google being in the news or or Google doing this, but... Like I said, if any company it has the resources to do it, they can. And can you imagine where I could buy a computer that just has a Intel processor with onboard graphics or an AMD processor and not have to worry about having a video card to play a game? I could play every pretty well. Obviously, they wouldn't have every game, but every game that they have that are Windows games, I could play and not have to worry about it. It would increase Linux adoption. If this yep. I think it would be, I think it overall would be better. I think it would still be problematic in the sense of like, you know, a lot of people would try it and this, this it would same issues that online had be, would probably be similar because a lot of people who wouldn't understand that they need a massive connection to be able to do it would still use it and it would still have that kind of bad press sort of thing. But right. I think well, again, overall, this is just a rumor now. Be, yeah, yeah. So I think, it's a, good, I, I think it's a good idea overall. It'd be, it'd be beneficial. I mean, it wouldn't probably hurt Linux because especially if you do it on a Chromebook or something. Yeah. But just be careful that when you do get this, you, you are going to need the, to read the 50,000 page EULA. Um, <laughs> Cause I have heard a, a rumor going around on Facebook at the moment that page 42,786 line 45 subsection C says 
you will hand over your firstborn son as well as all your data. <laughs> so it's good. To, duly noted, Zab. Duly noted. Yeah. Yeah. They're not only getting your data, they're coming for you as well. There you go. Well, I On think that that's note. all we have. <laughs> so I just want to say a big thank you to each and every one of you listening and watching and supporting Destination Linux because we appreciate it. Definitely. Um, and what we also appreciate as well is you sending us your comments, uh, making remarks on our YouTube videos, um, and also if you're a patron under our, our patron videos. So, so keep all your comments and suggestions and questions coming through um, to the comments at destinationlinux.org, um, and we'll do our best to get back to you. But keep those, keep those questions and, and uh, comments coming in. We do enjoy, we do enjoy reading them. Uh, yeah, and also do, don't forget that we we stream live this the show. Well, most of the time we stream live uh, on Sundays. Sometimes, like an interview, maybe the interview guest might not want to, but most of the time, other than that, we do at least once every other week where we do live Twitch live streaming on Twitch and YouTube, and you can come chat with us during this during the show. And uh, even if we're you know doing the show, we still co- have the conversations in the chat room as well. So be sure to to ch- uh, check that out. And if you're a patron. You should absolutely come check us out on live because you could join the Zoom chat and have a pre-show and post-show with us, you know, directly without having to, you know, if you would like to talk as well, you can do that in Zoom. Yep. Speaking of patrons, by the way, you guys can send us a email and we can get you out some stickers and some swag and things out there. So make sure you take advantage of that. And also the joining the pre-show and after shows that the patrons get access to. Thank you guys for sending us our comments. We try to feature them on the shows uh, when there's something we think everybody in the broader audience can benefit from and appreciate. So we love those emails. We love hearing from you guys and getting that feedback. So, you know, we also appreciate seeing the comments when we're doing live stream, whether it's gaming on our individual channels or live streaming here where people are telling others, hey, give thumbs up for us, because then it takes the awkwardness of us having to say it on stream. <laughs> and I was noticing in chat, people come, hey, guys, give thumbs up. That stuff does help because it gets more attention to the show, which gets more attention in turn to Linux. And thank you to the patrons for continuing to keep the stream, you know, free from all the ads and things that otherwise we'd have to do to fund it. So we really appreciate your constant support. Yep, absolutely. All right, that'll wrap it up. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. get michael to tell the story they were best friends so best what happened was back in the day when yeah. i lived in colorado uh, they, <laughs> every day before they go to bed they send text messages no no no, no. we spent hours on the phone and i was i had the cord it was in the end of time there was corded phones and i was spinning uh, the around and it was like so like what happened today yeah yeah they watched their favorite show csi together okay right click install it uses calamari as the installer and have gentoo up and running in like i don't know 10 minutes but doesn't that defeat the purpose of gentoo not necessarily yes not necessarily yes 
not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> Let me look at the audio settings. If you got a rock band mic, you wouldn't have this problem. Wow. Really? Is that where we're going to go now, Michael? Google, again, is now a platinum member of the Linux Foundation. This Why do we have so much Google news? I don't know, Rocco. Why do we have so much Google news? Uh, so I have, I have no idea. Or destinationlinux.org slash shut up, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> that is not very NPR of you. Nope. Don't care. We have the concert that we'll be playing in the next hour on NPR. But right now with Johan, me is Sebastian. Michael. Michael. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I cut you off, but I really just wanted to say things. <laughs> We're changing our format. We're going to have 14 million people, too. Yeah. This episode this episode of Destination NPR was <laughs> sponsored by Birchbox and Squeamix. And Ford Motor Company. And Wix.com. And 1-800-CONTACTS. As you can see, I don't wear those. (laughs) You guys going to miss me? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Michael. Um, Don't talk about me while I'm gone. Oh, we, we would never do that. So, speaking of Ryan being ridiculous, <laughs> um, I think he froze. No, I didn't freeze. I'm just. I think he froze. <laughs> I think he froze, Michael. So let's commence talking about him. Um, <laughs> so rude. Yellow. What? What are you zooming in? Oh yeah! Wow, keeping my eye on you. Did you see all these morons on Facebook selling the next thing? Like, I've got essential oils that will literally resurrect your dead ones if you just rub it on their forehead. <laughs> yeah, and it's only nine ninety five. How could you not totally get these essential oils? They're from India, and you know India is like a religion for like two thousand years. They know this stuff. They know <laughs> Oh, That's this one's from funny. China. They do acupuncture over there and stuff, and they eat right. roots, and they live forever. They're Our sick. Western medicine can't compare to this stuff. Stupid Westerners. Can I yeah. just, like, give them my bank account number? What's more important is when <laughs> when's Ryan going to put the second coat on to finish it off properly? What are you talking about, Wow, Deb? Wow, you do not talk about this this Picasso behind me here. This is the best paint job that's ever been. Well, Picasso's better than Mozart. Yeah. Why, why you use the Mozart reference for painting? I've no idea. <laughs> Something art. It's art. That's basically what I'm getting at, Zeb. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Picasso. Say, so. This is Picasso. So uh, this is uh, what I did is I I everything and I taped it and it's white. I feel like we've talked about me enough in this session. I agree. Yeah. So, coming up on this episode of Destination NPR is Ryan. He's wearing a red hat hat. Uh huh. Also, I am. are you gonna are you gonna fix your camera before? Uh uh-uh. uh. You gonna fix the color on your camera? So Ryan's camera is actually you... red tinted. I, I was gonna say I want NPR right now. Hi, mom. 
but I will never be able to get a one-shot kill on the Vanguard. And all it does is alert him to where I'm at. So I take him down to like a quarter health and boom, he shoots me in the head. So it's like, it's unfair. It's totally unfair. So Vanguard is the one to play or have I got to reach a certain level? <laughs> Zeb, forget what you just heard. Forget what you just heard. <laughs> <laughs> right, hang on. Email to Wimpy and oh, Popey. Choose Vanguard. Where is your allegiance here, Zeb? To the flag. Oh, my so I've disseminated the uh, insider information, so it's all good. Hope and Wimpress will hear about it. Wow, thanks, Sam. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, Rocco's a hustler. No, I'm not. Now, he usually just shoots me. He don't worry about life. He just shoots me. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done plenty of times, so. though. No. Oh, wow. Fake news. That's fake news. <laughs> got him. <Dang>, got him. <laughs> now, if, if I see your name and I'm, like, relatively close, I'm going to... I try tonight. <laughs> What is that all about? I mean, I don't understand that. Like, oh, he's seen like his it's name. It's so easy. <laughs> I don't get that. It's a game. We're supposed to be shooting everybody. I get most of my knife kills on Rocker, too. When you get Me that too. one knife kill, you do. Yeah. Well, I've only had one, and it was <laughs> so I get my most do you notice? Do you notice yeah. how everybody still is trolling me in chat while we're doing the live show? Does anybody saw this? No, I wasn't paying attention to <laughs> what, the. What is it it's about easy? trolling me that makes people so excited about doing it? It's not fair. Look at me. I'm a human being, and I have feelings. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> I'll have to go back and watch the live stream because I gotta see all the trolling because I don't get it's to see Randy it. and Dark One. I mean, do you? <laughs> yeah. Randy. Randy and Dark One. Of it's course. just. If you've well, seen me do it before, why don't you remind me? So quickly, you just you you're a yeah. You're you, a, we can't we can't we can't say. Oh Mike, yeah, Mike Hogg, you just sit there and like <laughs> I finally got the mic, everyone. I'm gonna talk the whole time. Yeah. So let me tell you about this story about how I dusted my table and, and and Google. Here's another Google article, and you don't take a breath. There's nowhere for us to jump in. Of course, it, well, and also also if we did jump in, it would be rude because it's like. So you introduce this, and it's like, well, let's talk about the emails. Wait, no, let's talk about us first. <laughs> Go back to well, me, That's Rocco. what you want to do anyway, Michael, so you might as well just say it. What? What? It's that's true. ridiculous. That's, that's yeah. ridiculous. Let's talk about me now. No, you could. Yeah, Michael, come on. We're being lazy. It's worth your time to spend. Right. You're more than willing to spend, spend my time editing, right? Yes. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> So good. Like the second a new episode drops, the first thing I do is go to the outtakes and then I watch That's the rest exactly of the episode. And nine watch times that. out of ten, I'm like laughing, and my wife will walk in and she'll be like, Are you literally laughing at a video of yourself? I'm like, No, it's the way I go anything. Like, you're so conceited. Uh, okay. My girlfriend doesn't so bother with funny. that because she's like, Automatically, yeah, of course you're watching a video of, course of yourself. You're watching <laughs> <laughs> wait, a, wait, a, in the conversation rocco you really brought us up on a high note there 